Hello and welcome to So What You're Saying Is. I'm Peter Whittle. Now, before I introduce our guest this week, just a reminder as we start the new year, uh, please do subscribe, won't you? Uh, we're putting on thousands of subscribers at the moment, but we're not complacent. Uh, so please do uh, just go and subscribe on the channel. And then next door, there is a, a little mark where you can uh, press notifications, which means that you get you know, notification of all of our programs as they come up. Uh, now, I'm very pleased that this week uh, my guest is John O'Sullivan. He's a bit of a friend of the channel now. He's been on <laughs> quite a few times. Uh, hello, John. Um, hello, John Peter. is based in Budapest, where he is a director of the Danube Institute. He's also editor at large of the National Review. And indeed, well, he's steeped in conservative politics. Uh, he was also a special advisor uh, to Margaret Thatcher. Um, thank you for coming, John. Um, I want to sort of talk a little bit first about your new book. Um, this is, or should I say your latest book, this is The, the Woke versus the West, and uh, it's Awkward Questions for a Progressive Age. Um, first things first, if you want to get hold of it, and we're going to talk about it, fa fantastic book. Um, then basically you should best go to the Danube Institute website um, and they will send you a copy. Um, this is basically a collection, Don, isn't it, yes. of all of your columns and reviews and essays over a period of? Well, 20, more than 20 years, but in fact, I wouldn't say all of them. There's a huge backlog yes, of stuff yes. because I've been, I've been in political journalism now um, well, since 1970. Yes. Well, this, the woke versus the West, I mean, obviously woke uh, is a theme of so many of our programs. How would you define it? Do you go with the definition of it being a form of Marxism? I think it has a Marxist intellectual structure, namely the oppressed uh, versus the oppressors, and then uh, highlighting certain classes as people who profit from society and oppress those who simply not um, don't have a, not only a same standard of living uh, but are excluded and marginalized and pushed to the edges of society and they have no influence uh, through the voting mechanism for example that's the that's the classic marxist way of thinking out about it and of course there have been developments of uh, this idea um, really all the time that since marx has been writing if we go to the Frankfurt School in Germany, who then went, of course, during the 30s to America, what they said was um, it's becoming clear that the proletariat um, doesn't, in fact, behave in the way we, we believe they should. That was clear when the First World War broke out. And uh, instead of rallying to, to um, class uh, and using the war as an, uh, an occasion to overturn society and move to a socialist society, which of course is precisely what Lenin did, but everywhere else the workers rallied to nation, in Britain, in France, in Germany. Um, and they, the Frankfurt School and others had to confront that fact first, later, and then of course they confronted the, the, the fact that even in domestic politics, the workers when they got a decent standard of living, which they were doing all this throughout this period, once they got political representation in Parliament, which they had, both through the existing parties, you know, the Tory party got 
half of its votes from the working class in Britain. Um, and, um, and finally, in cultural questions, the, um, and they, they, what, the, what the left, what their theoreticians had to do was they looked around, was to say, we need a constituency other than the working class. Yeah. Um, I, I just finish this by quoting uh, Engels, who in a letter to Marx following the victory of Disraeli in an election, he wrote, the working class has disgraced itself yet again. <laughs> by voting conservative. And that's been a, a regular yeah. a theme and, in a sense, the drift of the left in new directions, that what latest one being wokery, um, is ju ju they're just different. And I think in every succeeding generation, worse attempts to create a politics that is based on class consciousness yeah. and class conflict. Yes. Um, what, one thing that struck me in the very beginning of, the, of this collection, um, you said, in relation actually to what you've, you've just been talking to us about, um, here I'll just quote it, it says, my reaction to wokeness is that of an insomniac. Um, I have been there before many, too many times in fact, and I know how it turns out. Well, how it turns out, uh, are you, is that an optimistic prognosis? Well, um, I don't think, I don't believe in the cyclical theory of history exactly. Uh, so I don't think uh, that it's based on inevitable cycles. But you have to say that the same kind uh, of circumstances do often recur. Uh, for example, um, I, I, I became interested in politics in 1956 because of both Hungary and Suez. And I then applied to join the Young Conservatives but uh, may have been the youngest person in history to have done that. <laughs> Wasn't uh, it the biggest youth organization in the Western world? Yes, um, of course it was, and, but that was people aged 15 to 30. And, and it was also a marriage mart. Yes. It was where you, you know, nice men that met nice girls and so on. And um, it, it was great fun. Um, but on this occasion, the uh, conservative agent looked at me when I rang his doorbell and said, uh, uh, I don't think you're old enough, son. And I denied this hotly, and he says, well, anyway, you shouldn't join. Uh, you should be playing cricket and chasing girls and enjoying life. Uh, politics is a nasty business in many ways. And, and I was very indignant that the man hired by the party to recruit people should be saying this. But uh, it was Bob Edwards, the agent in Crosby, and we became very good friends later. And um, I in very much enjoyed working for the Conservatives, working you know, as a volunteer uh, with Conservatives. I find them very decent people mm. uh, and, and not at all the caricatures, which is now almost assiduously cultivated by most of the media and uh, of, of uh, unpleasant, uh, either, uh, either greedy and uh, snobbish at the top or um, brutal and, and vindictive at the lower levels. I think these, are, these caricatures are very nasty and vicious, and they are almost the sole remaining way um, that you hear snobbery and viciousness openly directed yes. at the decent people. I think it's very shocking. Yes. But, you know, if you go back to, what, the 1950s, 60s, yeah. 70s, and you said you had sort of seen this sort of thing yeah. before, but the title of the book is the, the Woke versus the West. That, that seems, that's quite a grand title in a way, isn't it? Well, in it's fact, a lot of the book is about 
the tendencies and rebellions and uh, upheavals of uh, both English and international politics, yes. which are a procession of events leading to this latest eruption right. of left-wing thought. And, um, for example, uh, 1956, Hungary, um, the, the suppression of the Hungarian Revolution uh, by the Soviets led to a, the development of a new um, form of, of very left of left socialism, um, new um, and um, uh, anti-bureaucratic, uh, and anxious to establish some democratic credentials, and yet at the same time um, always uh, because the fact is socialism produces results which the voters don't like always having to find ways around uh, the, the, the opposition, first of all, of, of, of course, the pop population as a whole, and then secondly, of um, the, uh, and secondly of the um, working class, which gradually became um, bourgeoisified, yeah. uh, and um, wanted, it turned out wanted what most people wanted, namely, security, a good job, the opportunities in life. Um, the book does deal directly with uh, the woke argument, of course, in several essays, the most important one being the one of the comparison with the Chinese Cultural Revolution. Right. Because, of course, quite a lot of what's happening in America particularly, but also here, um, namely the attempt to abolish history, the attempt to overcome um, old customs and old thinking, all of these things, that's the, in a sense, not just the forget amnesia about history, but more the um, repudiation of history and nationality and traditional loyalties. Th that's very much seen in the Cultural Revolution. And the interesting thing is that those Red Guards in the years since have been uh, apologetic and ashamed very much ashamed of what they what they did, which included, of course, things like murdering teachers yes. and humiliating them. And uh, in general, uh, we see no one has yet, I think, murdered uh, a figure of authority whom they want to reject. But they have been people have been treated extremely badly. And what's worse is they've been treated badly by liberal institutions like universities, uh, by uh, corporate capitalism, um, with uh, with no with a complete abandonment of the principles of natural justice, people are not allowed to defend themselves effectively. They go before at universities; they go before kangaroo courts. Um, people are not allowed to express views, which are the views very often of the majority of the population yeah, yeah. in these circumstances, and that is very much uh, that's been a developing thing. Uh, if you'd been around um, uh, and looked at British universities in the 70s, you would have probably gone to the North London Polytechnic and said, this, will ne this place won't be around long. This is not a university. It's becoming a kind of indoctrination centre for the left. And yet, that's not only has it not gone away, it's spread to more and more universities and more and more topics. Mm. Whoever expected scientists to abandon science and say that their scientific conclusions must be looked at again in the light of economic justice uh, or, uh, or racial justice or whatever. The fact is that th these are questions 
which are certainly important, and justice is a very important question, but who is going to get justice from a mob, yeah. and particularly from a mob which is not particularly well-informed about the matters in which they're pronouncing what they think is a just decision? So um, we, th this is a, a, the most aggressive and most successful left development in, in all the period I've been involved in politics, but it was there on a number of occasions and a number of, uh, uh, and a number of um, the entryism of the left into uh, the Labour Party, um, the, uh, the, uh, the development, the adoption by uh, the Labour Party under um, uh, the, uh, well, before uh, uh, Neil Kinnock, Yep. Uh, in uh, the, the Liverpool, my own town, taken over by uh, this extraordinary uh, gang of, uh, um, of far-left socialists who, of course, ran it into the ground. And um, all of these things happened, and they didn't produce quite the res They certainly didn't produce the results these people wanted, but they didn't produce a clear repudiation of that kind of politics. Mm for a very long time. Uh, it took until Blair, really, before mm. the Labour Party repudiated that. And as we know, the influence of Blair and of uh, Peter Mandelson uh, and the Blairites in general has been temporary. It, it has gone away. Is it coming back under Keir Starmer? Well, maybe, but how permanent will that be? Mm. So what you're seeing is a, a conflict which has gone through several stages. But it hasn't produced, it certainly hasn't produced the Marxist result of thesis, antithesis, and mm. uh, synthesis. Mm. It, in, in fact, it, it has created more divisions in society and now threatens to produce, I think, a, a very dangerous illiberal government, mm. even if it's led by a, a moderate, because yeah. the moderates are no longer moderate. Well, this is the point. You know, people sort of, or rather the press sort of portrays Labour now is having to change uh, under Starmer and all of this. Um, but it seems to me obvious that the others might just be keeping quiet. It's as simple as that, you know? Well, the topics have changed, haven't they? Um, Two, that's an important point. Um, who would have thought you would have had responsible Labour figures um, uh, asserting that they didn't, or rather denying that they knew what a woman was, uh, or arguing that people, including uh, children, should be able to um, change their gender, and that they should, and that any therapy they receive, um, because they think they're in the wrong, they think they are born in the wrong body, any therapy should be encouraging. Uh, now, that is not only uh, what some, um, a few handful of uh, 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 gender uh, uh, theorists argue; it's the policy of the great majority of the Labour Party. Yesterday, there was a Labour MP who denied this and supported Nicola Sturgeon's attempt to introduce um, gender re reassignment by a 16-year-old without any opposite, without any medical evidence to justify it. Um, the Labour MP Rosie Duffield, who opposed this, was she wasn't she was almost shouted down oh, yes. by MPs yes. on her own side, yeah. and. Um, there is this um, inability for the, uh, certainly a, a lot of people on the left and some in the center to face up to the fact that what the 
teaching, what they're accepting, what they are imposing by law is anti-scientific and anti-realism. And um, why is it done? Well, I think a lot of people, um, because they haven't really looked at the matter, but they don't want to offend, which I well understand and sympathize with, they don't want to offend somebody who feels that they were born in the wrong body. They don't want to stigmatize them, quite right. Um, but you cannot actually run a political, uh, you cannot run a government, you cannot adopt a policy um, based on swallowing falsehoods because the, you, the person who's promoting the falsehoods would be hurt. I mean, really, you can't do that. And yet, that's what an entire political party and in power industries and the cultural world is doing. In my view, we're headed on this kind of issue for a tremendous smash-up because the extremists in the, uh, in the gender lobbies uh, uh, are determined to impose this by law and regulation. The thing is, though, is that, uh, you know, you talk about not wanting to be offensive. No one wants to be offensive, you know, uh, you know yeah. just gratuitously rude. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think people on the whole have been uh, in this society. My feeling about this is I don't believe that they are really good faith actors. I, I think a lot of the people who are pushing certain things, say trans or mm. don't really care about it. They're far more concerned with basically undermining traditional foundations. I think that's true. The question is why, yeah. um, and I think that be they, because they believe that going back to this goes back to Rousseau, uh, they believe that man is born free, uh, but it everywhere is in chains, constructed by society, by private property, um, by the fact that the, the arranged the social arrangements are in, uh, designed to create two classes, oppressed and oppressive. If that's your analysis, you will never be able to have a commonsensical policy, mm -hmm. one that people recognize. Politics used to be a very practical matter. It used to be a question of taking, um, uh, looking at society, seeing what was wrong, and doing what you could to put it right in a way that didn't make matters worse. Yes. You didn't always get that right because of the phenomenon of unforeseeable consequences. So sometimes people did what seemed very sensible things, but they didn't work out that way. So uh, there was always, therefore, on, the, on our side of politics, conservative side of politics, an attitude of caution. Mm. Yes, this, something needs to be done, but is this the thing that yeah. needs to be done? Mm. And that has been lost. Conservative governments, uh, inclu I mean, including conserv in conservative governments, I would say the policy of uh, net zero is a utopian fantasy. You are not going to be able to take uh, fossil fuels, which today account for something like 85, 90% of all energy production. You're not going to be able to take them, take that and abolish them and move in a short period of time to, um, to um, non-fossil fuels, to renewables, many of which certainly uh, are safer in a sense but they, they don't provide the amount of energy you yeah. need, and they don't provide it when you need it. Mm. They're unreliable, and consequently, um, you cannot adopt what is a vast social uh, change, um, which imposes enormous costs uh, on, the, on, the, on the ordinary person. It 
they have to pay more in tax, they have to spend more to change their ways of life, they, ha they, they have to give up food that they like apparently, and, that there is, and this is being, and they have to give up cars, they have to give up travel. This is being suggested and imposed in some cases by conservatives. Yes, yes. It, it's an absurdity. It won't, it can't be done. And if I can make a, another point, think of its impact on security, on national security. Um, mm. the, 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 um, uh, the, the Chinese are producing enormous amounts of, um, um, of energy uh, from fossil fuels. Their emissions are rising very rapidly. Um, they, they absolutely outweigh anything that we could do because we are only responsible for 2% of emissions worldwide. Um, the, uh, uh, yes, obviously, um, if you're going to be spending enormous sums of money on um, uh, making this change, um, that's going to enable the Chinese and other economies which don't do this, uh, that's going to enable them to press ahead, including, of course, in security-related matters. Yes. And um, we, are, we are going to find it impossible to compete and to protect ourselves over a relatively short period of time. Um, there doesn't seem to have been a realistic discussion of this at all, uh, in, and, and, and both on this and on gender politics. What you're seeing is the adoption of bright ideas without serious critical discussion. Indeed, worse than that, it is that discussion of these uh, revolutionary programs is actively prevented and discouraged so that um, people have no idea uh, when they're talking about becoming green, what it actually means for them in the mm -hmm. relatively near mm -hmm. future. Mm -hmm. But you see, you, you, you alluded to it there, John. This is under a conservative yeah. government, yeah. and uh, it seems to go throughout much of the conservative movement, if you, want, if, you want, if you want to call it that. But let's stick with the politicians. Um, both of those examples there on net zero, but then also on the transition, we've got yeah. an education secretary who seems not to recognise the situation which is of growing concern in our schools. You know, this was uh, yeah. yesterday, um, the whole idea that somehow trans ideology is being taught now as, as sort of fact. And um, she sort of seemed to throw up her arms and say, well, I don't quite know, I don't recognise this uh, situation. A conservative education yeah. minister. Uh, what happened to the Tory party then to bring that about? It's a very difficult question to answer, isn't it? Because the party, first of all, um, it did achieve enormous things uh, in the 1980s. It helped to win the Cold War. Um, it brought about a transformation of the British economy from the, from the uh, economy that uh, the Tories had inherited um, after the um, um, winter of discontent, strikes everywhere, into the fourth largest economy in the world with, um, an, with a, a, a completely different attitude mm. to um, initiative, enterprise, and success. And um, those things made the country a richer and better place. But at the same time, we failed to get a grip on the bureaucracy, particularly the educational bureaucracy, or the blob, um, and the reforms in education, which Mrs. Hatcher's government, a third administration, carried out, 
um, they were made the vehicle for, for the propagation of left-wing ideas in the universities and in the schools. And the teachers' unions became radicalized as well. So um, throughout society, um, and, and finally the party tried to deal with the, uh, the, the results of immigration, the fact that we were increasingly a multinational, uh, multi-ethnic, though in my view not a multicultural society. And they went along with the series of essentially left-wing ideas uh, of um, quotas and preferences. And increasingly, um, the majority, um, uh, the original majority of the population felt that somehow they were the ones who are now uh, uh, not getting uh, fair treatment. And I think that society has become much more fractious mm -hmm. as a result. Um, if you are race, if you uh, run race conscious politics, policies, you shouldn't be surprised that people become very conscious yes. of race. Yes. And the concept of a common culture um, in political, but in all other questions, of, um, of national unity, of patriotism, they, they became not only unfashionable, but also seen, seen by authorities, including the police and so on, as signs and evidence of prejudice uh, and, um, and of racism and of other social sexism and other causes. Well, first of all, there's no doubt those evils exist, but they seem to have got worse yeah, yeah, during yeah. this reign of policy. And, and, that's, um, and that hasn't prompted any second thoughts uh, seriously. And the Tory party and ministers did, well, they did very little, if anything. Uh, they simply allowed uh, the kind of um, social um, socialization of society. Um, let me put it a quote of my old colleague, Frank Johnson. He said about the Labour Party, and this applies to the Tories, actually, unfortunately, he said they're not allowed to nationalize industries anymore, so they nationalize people instead. Yes, and the, so the, the reign of increasing, mm. um, of, uh, of, of increasing control of people's lives, increasing rules, um, and under the, under the banner, um, and not of social cooperation, um, but of social transformation, um, which is the way I think a lot of people feel about it. Um, if you go back uh, to the 1970s, um, before that, well, halcyon period yeah. of the 1980s, if you like, for the Conservative Party, um, <clears throat> there's a lot of talk now um, that basically Britain is very similar to the 1970s, the problems and what have you. Um, I wonder whether you think that the situation is as bad or not as bad as the 1970s. I mean, with one thought, maybe. Uh, and that is that at least in the 1970s we were, well, we weren't nationalised as people and we were culturally intact, yes. I think, far more in a way that people wouldn't quite recognise now. But do you think that they are comparable periods? Um, in some respects they certainly are. The most obvious one is this, this revival of strikes, yeah. um, public sector strikes in particular, and the sense that um, the unions have decided, well, um, public sector unions particularly, we don't care um, uh, what um, um, chaos we cause, what inconvenience we cause to the, to the public. 
and um, uh, we are going to get what we want and what's fair and so on. Now, of course, there's never complete agreement on what is fair. Um, Arthur Balfour said the problem with uh, justice is there isn't enough to go around. Mm. So there is always going to be that kind of conflict in society. But at the same time, in a functioning society, people don't push their claims to the absolute limit the, where they damage the interests of other people seriously. And if they do, society generally has rules uh, which work and uh, restrain them. That sense is being lost. Uh, it was lost in the 70s in uh, places like British Leyland. Um, but um, the result of, first of all, uh, economic success, secondly, of nationalizing, uh, first of all, uh, some of those industries were reduced in size, and and um, the, the the population became, in a sense, um, uh, well, I've used the term already, uh, bourgeois, bush, I mean, I can't, yes, it, I can't quite pronounce it. Embourgeoisement. There was a <laughs> sociological uh, yes, concept, wasn't there? Embourgeoisement. And and that uh, that is very important too. It is a re I mean the 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 number of unions who can bring the country to a halt is relatively small. It's all in the public sector, and and they are um, uh, and they are prepared at the moment. I don't think this will be permanent, by the way. But they are prepared to push their claims to the limit, and I think that society itself will kind of organise to um, um, to. to so that it can't be held to ransom. That's the spread. That's one of the reasons for the spread of the private car. Yeah. Uh, it gives people independence from these kind of threats. The spread of the private car is now being openly uh, well. Policies to reverse that in Scotland have been clearly adopted the other day, and now we all know that quite a lot of these schemes for uh, traffic control in um, uh, Oxford and elsewhere. Uh, have a social element in Ooh. them of persuading people, well, forcing them to give up the car, yeah. making it too expensive, and so on. So um, there will be, you know, the, the point about social life is that if you bring in something that inconveniences me, I will eventually find a way to uh, escape mm -hmm. your control, and, and that will happen. Um, you, you think that will happen? That'll give people a lot of hope i think i mean whether you're going around london yeah. and basically in massive traffic jams next to cycle lanes which are totally empty uh, yeah and this kind of right it's in your face this kind of it's an ideological change yes you know? and but if you say that that will be overcome that will give a lot of people a lot of hope because people's uh, you know from the with the feedback we have yeah. are absolutely just you know they're despondent and they're bewildered well, the very first result of this kind of thing is people are despondent, bewildered, resentful, and angry, and but they don't do anything about it. And then they ask their politicians to do something about it. And on this, the Conservatives, again, don't seem to be doing what their own supporters want. And I would say um, a num the people who, who would like things done go well beyond natural Conservative voters. In fact, one of the interesting things is the way in which recent policies of social control have pushed working class people further and further 
into uh, conservative attitudes and positions. Yeah. They've always been pretty conservative, but they have basically looked upon the Labour Party and other institutions like that as their defenders mm -hmm. uh, socially and economically. Um, eventually, as we saw in the Brexit vote, um, but there are other examples when they turn around and say, look, you're not our defenders in any meaningful sense, and we are not going to keep voting for you. And we'll see how this turns out. The next stage, it seems to me, when you lose faith in the people who are supposed to be your representatives, your defenders, is then to choose other defenders and, and to press for other policies. And the final stage is for you to take private action. I don't mean action, political action. I mean, you just order your life in a right. way that gets around these things. Yeah. And, um, and I think you will, see that, uh, you will see that. And in this country, one of the ways in which that's true is emigration. People talk about immigration a lot, but there's emigration too. And um, people, um, there's quite a heavy, quite a lot of emigration from Britain. They particularly and generally go to other English-speaking countries. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm, I'm not an emigrant in the sense that I went for that reason. I, I was, opportunities arose for me, which I took, which is why I've lived outside England you know, for a long time. Um, but um, people will eventually say this is no home for kids. This is no place to bring up kids, yeah. and they will leave. Yeah. And um, I, I think the same thing is happening in America in relation to schools. Yeah. You're seeing parents say, "Look, uh, mm. we didn't until the <laughs> until uh, we were forced to stay at home um, uh, in, by the COVID uh, pandemic uh, when we saw." what was being taught to our children in schools because they were at home as well and getting lessons over the internet. We didn't realize what any of this was happening. Uh, that's only two years ago. Yeah. And already there's a massive movement in which parents are throwing uh, left-wing uh, um, education boards out of office in votes and installing people who are, in, who are angry about this. Or homeschooling. Well, that's dramatically risen in the United yeah, States, yeah. and it is now itself an industry mm. because there are extremely very good um, school, um, homeschooling kits, mm. so to speak. There's a lot of, of course, America is built on the Tocquevillian idea of social cooperation mm. outside government, and there are, of course, homeschooling is now uh, different families getting together, either yes. themselves or hiring yeah. teachers themselves. Yeah. And, um, and, and the third element like that is the spread of um, uh, schools which teach a classical um, uh, education and um, avoid most of the kind of um, clever ideas that are spreading, um, most of the bad clever ideas that are spreading through the teachers' unions in state schools. Um, the degree to which the bureaucracy, including teachers, try to evade this mm. and and present a dishonest face to the to the parents when they when they inquire and um it, and it is is very alarming uh, because it's not only private citizens who adapt to changes and look to defend their positions so do organizations probably more quickly but in the end the the, the population has the numbers yeah, yeah. to win yeah. um and that's another reason for being worried about the way in which democracy is being reinterpreted to mean uh, not that um, the, the elected government that wins majorities um, should determine policy, 
but that policy should be outsourced to all kinds mm. of organizations and institutions which have, which are, which, well, collectively we call them uh, the woke, uh, yeah, the woke yeah. and the blob. Yes. The, yeah. the woke is increasingly um, moving to become the blob. Mm. And unfortunately, uh, that will take, it will take time to counteract that. But it will happen. Um, you mentioned there very clearly different stages, you know, of what people, uh, how people view politics and what they could possibly do. I mean, we've got an election coming up, uh, well, 18 months, basically. Um, very particular question. What should people do at that election? John, I mean, you know, there are a lot of people, mm. um, we've had Peter Hitchens on the server quite recently, yep. you know. Um, very, I think, very, very valid point. He said the only way for conservatism to actually be reborn is for the Conservative Party to die. Um, with that in mind, what should people do at the election? What should they vote for? Well, of course, uh, Peter has made that case. Uh, and uh, it seems, uh, on the face of it, be a strong case. And, and you know, I'm tempted by it at times. Mm. Um, but the, uh, first of all, I think he'd have to admit that the transition to that uh, new, the situation he wants in which the Tory party has gone and been replaced by other parties um, is going to be one in which the left will probably therefore run the government. If the principal Conservative Party disappears and shrinks to nothing, um, then the new parties, and there are uh, several ones, the Social Democratic Party is really a Conservative Party in a sense, um, in a society like ours, um, reform. Re reform and reclaim, they exist. Undoubtedly one of the most influential and potentially even more influential politicians is Nigel Farage. Mm. Um, and, um, he, but I mean, he's a very shrewd operator. He himself did not make the great challenge which he successfully made over Brexit until it was, he thought it was clear that the, there was the basis for a serious political rebellion. Um, the, uh, if we're going to have um, a more conservative party, uh, a different conservative party emerge, you would have to have PR. The problem with PR, and I disagree with uh, Farage and others on this, the uh, problem with PR is it installs a permanent government um, in which parties do not really battle over principles before the voters. It installs, a, it installs a situation in which the political spectrum is controlled by a mix of parties. And in an election, the, um, uh, the, party, the, 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 the governing coalition moves slightly right, if there's been a big conservative vote, and sheds a few people this end. And the opposite, when, there's a, when the majority votes for other parties, it, it moves slightly left. It, it doesn't adopt the policies that the par any of the parties campaigned for during the election. Instead, policy is decided not by the voters, the general drift, but by the parties in negotiations over the new policy after the election. Um, your sense of a choice for the voters just evaporates. And all of this um, essentially means that any change that you know, that conservatives conservative voters want will be very long delayed and very um, and very uh, mediocre and unsatisfactory and um, the uh, and and it will be 
the, the, it's very clear when you look at continental politics, the bureaucracy plays at least as big a part uh, in what happens as here. So, but you see, that does that. Many people, would, and I say I would include myself, but would look at that picture that you paint there and say, "Well, that's the situation anyway." It has been in recent years, but it wasn't in this uh, in various periods in the past. It wasn't um, well under the influence of war in 1940. There was a massive change, um, and it and and in again in 45. And again, um, actually, the conservative years under Churchill and Macmillan were pretty good years. Uh, they went slightly bad towards the end, but they, the country did well between 51 and, four, and 45. And, and um, I'm sorry, uh, uh, 64. Um, I would say that, um, the, that you don't want massive change very often, mm. but you do want the system to have the capacity uh, to reform itself seriously, and I don't see that in all of the countries of in almost any of the countries in e Europe, except those where there is a fairly dominant party, and um, I mean, that has been the case, for example, in, in in Germany. The dominant party was the CDU. Occasionally, the SPD got in, but in general, it was a conservative government. It it basically ran uh, things very well uh, from Adenauer onwards. I mean, there were, you know, there were mistakes and so on, um, but you didn't have the stagnation that has overtaken the system um, since, um, you know, um, really, since uh, uh, the end of the Cold War. It's gradually happened. Uh, I, I'm, what we're talking about here is that if if the Conservative Party disappears, there will be a time in which the left controls things. There's no doubt about that. I don't see how it could any otherwise be true. Now, what does what should we do? Should we just accept this situation? No, we have to um, get the Conservative Party in in Britain to become more democratic, uh, because the at the moment the selection of candidates over the years has produced opinion, polls. Uh, so, social attitudes ex, uh, of uh, politicians have been ex examined, and it's clear that both the uh, Labour MPs and Conservative MPs are well to the right of their voters and supporters. In fact, Conservative MPs are social, well to the left, sorry, Conservative MPs are socially to the left of the average voter, the middle. Mm. So um, essentially what your, uh, the Conservative Party is in a way running on a false prospectus. And that's because over the years, the Conservative leadership has wanted to pursue policies, principally commitment to Europe, which um, it, it knew lacked yeah. deep support. Yeah. So what did it do? It essentially, well, didn't tell the truth about what it was, its European policies were, and that gradually shifted to any policy where there was they wanted to do something they thought their members wouldn't like. Um, the Conservative Party had, spoke a good game but it didn't uh, carry it through. Well, I think um, one great example of that is immigration, where in fact, yeah. uh, you know, Labour kept the social aims yeah. of immigration to, uh, out of the view of its of its supporters. And similarly, over the past couple of years, actually, John, uh, it's emerged that actually the Tories have been sort of deceitful, I would say, about immigration rules. And in fact, we've got the highest we've ever had uh, record numbers. Yes. 
we could debate, I suppose, um, to what extent this was a self-conscious, this was a yeah. conscious policy. But there's no doubt that the rhetoric went in one direction and the reality of policy went in the other. And this is one of the major factors, uh, as Europe had been before, for undermining this, uh, the belief of the, um, well, not just the conservative voter, but of voters in general, of the promises that the party has made. That, that is something that um, could happen under any system. But uh, the fact is, they, we, we have let ourselves down. And I think that that was because the conservative wets um, were replaced by other people with a similar kind, really, who despaired about the, the ability of the Conservative Party to sustain a policy over the long term that reflected its values. They thought in a way that state control in economics and increasingly um, state uh, promulgation of different kinds of uh, a different kind of society to deal with uh, the results of immigration. They thought these things were inevitable, and consequently, without really uh, uh, thinking through, they simply went along with what are the ideas that emerged from the bureaucracy and from other things. I mean, the idea of of abandoning a, a color-blind uh, approach. Uh, to racial politics uh, in face of a race-conscious policy. That was that's a very foolish decision, and it's resulted in increase rather than less conflict. So the, the Conservative Party has, uh, in a sense, had a... Well, it, it, it didn't have faith in itself and its principles. In fact, um, it was unjustified in that, and um, and that's why... Uh, the only way forward is for either the Conservative Party or for any group of parties that comes out of the scrum of the next few elections. There might be, and there might be quite a lot of parties in Parliament. Yeah. Uh, then uh, it is, is for the Conservative elements in those parties to push for a clear and better policy. John, before we uh, uh, wind up, there's just one, one, one last question, actually. It, <coughs> it's probably worth a whole series of programmes, but um, your book, uh, The Woke Versus the West, this is the book again, yeah. which uh, you can get on the Danube Institute website. Uh, the Woke Versus the West, The West. Um, last year, uh, Prime Minister Viktor Orban uh, made a speech, some found it controversial, but he basically said that countries like London, uh, Britain and cities like London were essentially now post-West, and that Hungary was the real spiritual centre of West. Would you agree with that? Um, I'm reluctant to go all the way with the idea that uh, London is a post-West. Who, who would say that, you say? Uh, Orban. Orban. Yeah. yeah, I'm reluctant to go with the, as far as the criticism made there, but there is obviously something in it. Um, the... Um, and and the and I think this partly explains the loss of confidence of conservatives, because the yeah. kind of the kind of society that they grew up in is very different. Was very different to the kind of society they live in now, and they were not able to see uh, that it could be governed in in that same way. It's probably true to some degree, 
and therefore they adapted and adapted and adapted. But they were really thinking through where the different adaptations were going. Yeah. No, but none of them, I think, thought they would reach the present situation. And um, of course, they didn't understand the uh, what was proved by Brexit that there are people in society who sympathize deeply with the ideas but never thought of voting for them and they were the people they should perhaps try to bring into the system which brexit actually did bring into the uh, the, the play of politics um uh, now uh, of course uh, um, i think mr orban has achieved quite a lot of important uh, objectives in in hungary and it is a society is very safe. Um, it's actually economically doing well. Um, there, is a, there is a sense, uh, which I think makes nonsense, of the left's attack on the Orban government. There is a sense that the, um, uh, the, 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 the people vote in elections and those elections then influence, uh, determine government policy. Um, which is which was lost, I think, here, particularly mm. when we're in the EU, and is it now being lost again over immigration and over other questions as well, because there's no real popular, deep popular backing for gender theory, for mm. example, yeah. and and so the, the 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 sense of loss of control by ordinary people of their own society is um, is, is strong yeah. here and weak in Hungary, yeah. where people think, yes, the government's doing what we want. Um, that creates problems, of course, for Hungary and for Orban, because the things that he's supporting in Hungary are not things that are popular with the European Commission. Mm -hmm. And anyone who looks at the way um, uh, European politics goes can see clearly that even if you disagreed with Orban on a particular policy, when Orban does it and, and the Commission doesn't like it, they take action against him. When other countries do it, they ignore this. Yeah. Um, graft in Europe is there is there corruption in in uh, in Hungary and other European countries? Well, the European budget for years, uh, the EU budget, could never get agreed and passed because everybody knew that there were a series of things like, for example, the mafia corruption of, uh, of the common agricultural policy. They didn't look into it because it, was, it wasn't an, a problem for them in moving towards greater unity of Europe. Uh, if they think that something like that was going on in Hungary, they would they look at it, they complain. Um, if you look at the, um, if you look at, for example, uh, uh, the judiciary, um, there was no constitutional uh, uh, attack on um, uh, Finland, mm. uh, uh, but the Finns have a, system, a judicial system which doesn't have the same kind of constitutional court. Uh, Hungary has a constitutional court. Its rulings are obeyed by the government. But uh, the idea that, um, uh, uh, that asking people to retire at a particular age because of some of these troublesome uh, post-communist judges um, will, will, will then no longer influence the system Governments do that everywhere. It's only in Hungary where yes, the yes. yeah. So, I'm sorry. What? No, no, no. What, I, mean, I think it's. Uh, I I remember when we spoke before, uh, you were saying you know that there were things about living in Hungary 
which reminded one of Britain of maybe the past. Uh, oh. in, in, in the pleasantness and the fact that politics doesn't go into every single crevice of society. Well, it's more than that, too. I think, yes, um, it is like we, we, you do have a sense of a society which is relatively at peace with itself. There are political divisions, of course, but there is nothing, um, it's nothing that makes you feel uh, the society internally is in trouble. Um, the, 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 the statements of that kind tend to come from outside, or they come from the opposition, and oppositions are always bound to say those things. No, I think the, um, uh, uh, the, another key point is um, there is a sense that it's a fairly safe country. Uh, there's, there's not political violence. There isn't much other kinds of violence. I mean, there is some crime, but it doesn't mm. seem to affect everyday lives. And um, I know, for example, that when my wife's coming back with women friends from dinner, they quite happily walk through the center mm. of Budapest mm. late at night, and they never experience uh, problems. Now, there are problems in any society. And, you know, the, 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 there is a quite a vigorous attempt by the government, for example, to um, find ways of reintegrating the Roma in, in, um, in, in, in um, Hungarian life. It's not an, it's not an easy question because um, the change in the conditions of life, uh, of economic life, um, has meant that it's not so easy for Roma, the Roma to operate as they used to. Thank you very much for that. Um, we actually have a few questions, just two more questions. Uh, for you, for the um, for our members, some exclusive. Yeah. Advice. If you'd stay with us, but um, for the meantime, um, thank you very much for that. Um, that's it for so what you're saying is this week, and we shall see you next time. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Hello. If you're enjoying the New Culture Forum channel and you believe in our mission, may I invite you to join our membership scheme at the link below or on our website newcultureforum.org.uk. Our work is more important now than ever, and we have great plans ahead for the future, but we can't do it without your support. From as little as £3 per month, you can help ensure that we continue on our mission. As a member, you'll receive a range of benefits, including access to exclusive content, invitations to our private events, including here at our studios, free copies of our books, and much, much more, including, of course, our famous NCF mug. If you aren't able to become a member, then please help us by clicking this button and subscribing to our channel. It's completely free. Just remember to also click the bell icon so that you can get notifications when we post new videos. Thank you.